the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If indeed God is ruling and reigning from His throne, it is indeed His government. All that we know that exists is under His purview. God's righteous government out of Job 36, next. Here in Job chapter 36, Elihu continues his discourse with Job as he continues to reason with Job about his predicament and any and all accusations that either Job or his friends have made against God. You see, he does rule and reign in righteousness, and that's exactly what Elihu promotes here in Job chapter 36, God's righteous government. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Job is like, I'm going through all of this stuff. Something must be wrong. Something is wrong with God's governing of the universe. There are some injustices here. God, let me come to you and plead my case. And Elihu says, nothing's wrong, Job. Here is this young man who basically says, Job, settle down. Just calm down. There's nothing wrong. Granted, Job, I don't exactly know why God has brought this into your life, but I don't have to, and neither do you. All you need to know is that God governs your life in righteousness, and we need to trust Him. That means incredible comfort for us if we believe this, beloved. That means we don't have to be confused or have all these unrealistic expectations of how life is going to go. Just let this sink in. Things are going to happen to you that you will not understand. And many times they will be painful. And you're going to feel like God is just squeezing the life out of you. And you start thinking something is wrong. What is God doing? You just need to remember, wait a minute. What did Elihu say to Job? Oh, yeah. He reminded Job, Job, God is God. And you are not. And you are not going to be able to fathom all of my ways. So you have got to trust my wise and righteous government over your life. That is where the godly man finds peace, my friends. Can you just resign your life into the hands of God? We wring our hands over our children and over our circumstances. We worry, can I just get through this phase of my life? It is so trying. And it is. It is so time-consuming. And it is. And it can be so painful to have uncertainty in one's vocation and in one's health. And yes, it is difficult and we do wring our hands. Sometimes it's just for us to take a deep, deep breath and remember. 
I am but a grasshopper. And God has never laid on me the responsibility of governing my life, much less the world. I can rest in him and be at peace. It doesn't mean I don't cry. It doesn't mean there won't be difficulty. It doesn't mean that there won't be very difficult things that the Lord wants to bring into my life. But he is righteous and he is good and he is wise. And he knows what is best for me and you. So we can be at peace. And that is what Elihu tells Job in the next seven verses, 16 through 23. Basically, Job, stop complaining. He said, just be careful. He says in verse 16, don't you know that God would have taken you out of this place, out of this strait? Sometimes the Bible uses the word strait for a confined, narrow place where you feel hemmed in. He would have brought you into a wide place again, Job. He would have filled your table with good things, he says in verse 17, but he hasn't yet. Now listen, Job, because you have fulfilled the judgment of the wicked, how can this be a godly man? Elihu says, Job, your sufferings are worse because of the way you have responded to them. They are bad enough, but because you have responded to them like a wicked man, you have not submitted to God's governing of your life. You have complained. You have accused God of being unjust and unfair. You didn't directly say it, but your words have that suggestion. Whenever we question what God is doing, beloved, in one respect, we are fulfilling the judgment of the wicked. So he tells Job in verse 18, Job, be careful. There is wrath. Every Christian in here needs to take this to heart. I'd like you to leave your finger here and turn over to Hebrews. And this is mostly as corrective against the loose views of God that we see today. The humanized views, if you will, of God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, 28. We read there, Wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved. Let us have grace. It says we are receiving his kingdom, this rule of God, and it cannot be moved. Nothing can shake it. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God expectedly with reverence and godly fear. And note verse 29. For our God is a consuming fire. Walking with God does not mean that has changed today. Zephaniah 3.17, I, the Holy One, will dwell in the midst of you. 2 Corinthians 6.16 and 17, I will walk with you. We think today, walking with God, oh great. Everything is going to be a cakewalk and me and God will go to Pete's Coffee and we'll have a great time together. We forget when God saved us through his son and fulfilled that covenant to walk and dwell with us, he didn't change. He didn't become less God than he was before. He remained a consuming fire. Jesus said, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's a sense here in verse 28 of Hebrews 12 where Paul says, have fear. There is joy, there is peace, 
But it's more like a joy and peace where your spine is tingling and the hair on the back of your neck is standing on end because you remember. You remember. It is a holy God that is walking with me. The holy, holy, holy God. And that is why Elihu tells him, Job, be careful. There is wrath. So in a godly man's life, we see it in David and we see it in Solomon. These men were godly, but they committed sins. And they didn't respond well to God's warning at times. And God brought a heavier rod on them. Would Peter ever denied his Lord three times? Had he been listening the previous three years to Jesus' warnings against his pride and self-reliance? No, he wouldn't have. But the Lord kept warning him. The Lord kept bringing discipline in his life. And Peter kept resisting. And his fall was the greater because he was playing with fire, the holy God. Do you realize that about sins in our lives? The looseness in our lives, loose words, loose attitudes... You know, as parents, we tell our children, don't play with fire. But then we walk with God and we say, well, you know, I'll sin and I'll take, just ask God for forgiveness later on. Because, you see, it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And we forget that we are playing with fire. Back to Job 36. Elihu warns Job. He says, you better be careful. God won't take his throne. There are consequences to playing loose with our lives. Verse 19, our riches, forget it, gold, strength, no way. Hey, I'll just escape into the night then. Well, how has that been working for you, Job? Elihu says, Job, just take heed. Stop sinning. He said, you have chosen to sin rather than accept this affliction that God has brought into your life. Are you going to teach God? Isn't that what it's, this is all coming down to? When Job has been saying, Lord, this isn't right. This isn't fair. I just want to die. What is he doing? Job has been saying, God, I'm setting up a school for you. How you should govern the world and you are going to be my first pupil. And you know what? We do the same thing every time we complain and chafe and sigh at God's working in our lives. And we know, well, I can't really resist God's will. So what am I going to do? Am I going to be morose and melancholy? No. I'm going to try really hard. Because no one can resist God's will. One of the ways you can tell if you are resisting God's will is you're not praying when the bad stuff happens. Are you calling on God when the bad stuff happens, beloved? Because God does fault sons and daughters when they are not seeking Him in the midst of their trials. That's why He brings trials, so you cry out to Him. When some people are suffering, some difficulty... They may reason like this. Well, I prayed and it, it didn't work. So there's no point in praying anymore. God's true sons and daughters say, I don't pray simply because it works. I pray because he's my father and because I know I need him. 
And because whatever he sees fit to bring into my life, I don't have to understand it. I don't need to understand it. He's not obligated to tell me what is going on. I am not his teacher. He is my teacher. So I need to learn from him and to be meek before him. And remember, he is right in all that he does in my life. Well, Elihu concludes, and granted, I've just been skimming here, but I hope you at least get the main themes that he has been talking about. In verses 1 through 4 again, he tells him, you've got to remember God's righteousness, Job. In verses 5 through 15, he gives some examples of God's righteous governing of the world. In verses 16 through 23, he gives him warnings against complaining. And boy, do we ever need that, right? In verses 23 through 34, he says something about what is exactly the opposite of men of what men would do today. When someone is going through something difficult, we want to find reasons to make it seem less difficult. But Elihu almost for the moment completely lets go of that and he says, Job, let me tell you what you need to do if you are going to be at peace in your affliction and in your suffering. You need to remember the majesty of God, how exalted he is. He says there in verse 23, no one is going to be able to accuse God of anything, of working iniquity. Verse 24, Job, magnify God's work. Verse 26, see God's greatness. He is eternal. He needs nothing. Verse 27, he makes all the drops of water. He makes them all. Verse 28, he makes the clouds to hold the water in until it is his will for it to fall. Can you understand how he spreads out the clouds, the thunder? At the end of verse 29, the noise of this tabernacle, the lightning, the depths of the seas. And God uses this process of rain and vaporization to feed men and animals. And then verse 32, when he wants to, You know that big orb in the sky, Job, you call the sun? He hides its light behind clouds and dulls its heat. And he says in verse 33, we are so silly and stupid. The cows can tell when a storm is coming better than we can. That's what he's telling us there in verse 33. Why does Elihu make God so high and lifted up? It seems like the better thing to do would be to try and Kind of bring God down and, you know, sit in a rocking chair with him and play checkers and feel comfortable with him, at least according to the church today. Well, let me bring up a couple of examples of God's greatness and majesty. Moses was leading God's people through the wilderness, and it was a very difficult job. And Moses realized that the only way he was going to be able to endure, and you can find, you can read this in Exodus 33, is he prayed, Lord, show me your glory. So what does the Lord do? He caused his name to pass by him. The Lord strong and mighty, faithful, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sins. Isaiah was called to be a prophet and God told him at the outset, I'm going to send people to you that hearing they will not hear, seeing they will not see. I do not want them converted. I'm sending my word to condemn them. So how does he send Isaiah out? We have that magnificent 
picture in chapter 6 of God high and exalted, sitting on his throne and his glory train filling the temple. He did the same thing with Ezekiel when he called him. He did the same thing to John on Patmos. Remember in Revelation? John was the apostle who reclined on Jesus' breast in the upper room. He was suffering for the gospel. And he didn't come to him and pat him on the back and say, John, everything is going to be okay. He came to him and he showed him more of his glory. In chapter 1 of Revelation, he shows this picture of Jesus. His eyes like a flame of fire, hair like wool, dressed royally powerful. And he shows him in chapter 4 in the throne room of God. Why is this? We could multiply these examples. Why do we need to see God's glory, especially when we are suffering? It is because of our weak tendency to forget how God is governing our lives. And He doesn't need our help. We need His. So listen. The bigger the view we have of God, the more peace we have. The bigger view we have of God, the more peace we have. And Elihu just picks a few examples here. And God will give us a lot more in a couple of the chapters later as we get closer to the end of the book when God reveals His glory in 80 or so questions to Job. But it's almost as if he said, do you know what you need to live for me in peace? You need to see my majesty. That's why you have got to be in the scriptures every day, beloved. Because let me tell you what happens when you are not in the word. When you are not in the word of God, whatever you heard about God in a sermon is just going to flitter away from you. Unless you are in that word every day and you're seeing the glory of God, you just start looking at life in the perspective of you and God gets smaller and smaller and your problems seem to get bigger and bigger and your issues seem bigger and bigger and you start fretting and worrying. But then when you come back to Scripture, you come back to God's house and you worship Him with His people and you realize... What I'm going through is not bigger than God. It is part of His government of the world and of my life. It is part of His fatherly rule and discipline over me. That I need to be a righteous man, a righteous woman, a righteous young person. Because He is my security. And I'm going to trust Him. You know, if you've done much reading in ancient philosophy or and even read some of the earlier theologians, whether you are a coarse heathen, they say, or sophisticated pagan, and I believe this, you still normally believe that a God governs the world. You just do. The sense of deity is strong within us. This sense of God that Paul talks about in Romans 1. Remember, they offered sacrifices to appease the gods. Granted, it was superstition. But the sense of deity is there in every one of us. Look at our country today. To explain weather and calamities and the rise and the fall of men and nations, there is no way that you can do that without a transcendent God. Oh, they try, but they continuously fail. We've got predictive science. We've got machines. We've got the government, government departments handling all of this and that. Well, let me ask you how they're doing. 
We are spiritually and mentally diseased. We are personally unstable in our sexual orientation and our financial lives, totally unstable. It's like the Enlightenment. It wanted to exorcise, get rid of this sense of deity, the God consciousness that we were created with. And it turned everything upside down. And man was totally unhinged, not only for God, but from himself. Abortion, sodomy. Can you imagine? Knowing what sodomy is, celebrating such a violent thing as love, and for it to even be discussed in public as being a legitimate equivalent to the husband and wife relationship. Again, when you lose loose man from God, man becomes the loser, and it turns his life upside down. So what do we need to do? What do we need to take from all of this? We need to see more of God's glory. Let me encourage you to meditate upon God's word. Let me encourage you to have a systematic way that you're going through scripture. And if you need a place to start today is June 10th. Go home tonight and read, write these down, Psalms 24, 54, 84, 114 and 144. Psalms 24, 54, 84, 114 and 144. And pray through those Psalms. And then do that every day, taking five Psalms. And in a month you will read through the entire Psalms. And if you do this and get on your face before God in 31 days, I will guarantee you will come back to me and say, I am not the same person. I have seen something more of the majesty of God and the glory of God and how I need to keep seeking Him each day of my life. Train yourself, men, on your commute and when you're cutting the grass to meditate on God's Word because the bigger He is, the holier you see Him to be, the more sovereign you see Him to be, the more secure and the more stable your soul is because He made you for Himself. And if you don't see Him clearly, you can't see yourself clearly. And if you don't see yourself clearly, everything is going to seem a jumble in your life. Just look at the world. But the more you see Him and worship Him and bow to His government in your life, a funny thing happens. It's not that you get weirder, as some people think, because you're so committed to Christ. It is that you are more stable. You know, I may be afflicted, but I pray instead of worrying. What do your unbelieving siblings do? Your unbelieving parents, they don't pray. They worry. But I trust that my father loves and holds me in his arms. Yes, this is a hard battle. And I don't want you to seem like it's easier than it really is. I'm certainly in the midst of this as well. And I want to see more of the majesty of God myself. But please do not let this particular chapter get away from you. I encourage you to go back and read it again and see how Elihu says, Job, your problem is, it's not what you're going through. It's that you have forgotten God's righteous government of your life. So instead of focusing on your pain, 
and your loss. Focus on his wisdom and his strength and seek him because he will never turn away from his people. Amen. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 